0: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
1: Welcome to In Her Shoes. I'm Lindsay Peoples, and I'm editor-in-chief of The Cut. On this show, I get to talk to people that we love and admire, or some that we just find interesting. We'll explore how they found their path and what maybe have gotten in their way, and how they brought others along now that they've arrived. Margaret Cho is undeniably a comedy giant and a stand-up legend who paved the way for so many women in comedy we see today. She gave Asian American women the liberty to be loud, to be vulgar, to be quirky, and just outright hilarious. Her comedy hits on the topics of race, gender, politics, sexuality, and all of the controversial things that we're probably not supposed to talk about, but we want to anyway. Most recently, she starred in Flight Attendant on HBO Max, and now she's in a new summer film on Hulu called Fire Island. She joined us to talk about her career, how her race has shaped her comedy, and her new film. Margaret, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Of course. Thank you. I like your mic, Margaret. It's pink for Pride Month. (laughs) I love that. I want to start at the beginning because we talk a lot at The Cut about longevity and especially for the careers of women and femmes and how you transition, how you continue to keep going. And I know that you started comedy at a very young age and you've talked a lot about how it helped you through issues and different issues and connecting with people. What drew you to comedy, you know, to start so young and how did comedy really help you confront Different things like was it a coping mechanism? Did it just make you come alive? Like, what was going on in your head at a younger age?
2: I just love the art form, you know. And then, where I come from, San Francisco, there was a big comedy scene, there was a big nightclub scene that was kind of a big thing about, you know, when you're like going on a night out in the 70s, you're gonna wear a wraparound dress and you're gonna go, uh to a nightclub and watch comedians and and then you know like I would listen to the radio and in the morning all the comedians would come and do these sort of like radio kind of um morning show antics and then it was just so like a lifestyle that I could really get behind and I I just had a hard time connecting with people in school I was very obviously very queer so I got bullied a lot and I didn't really understand like how to be friends with people who didn't want to be friends with me because they said that I was a lesbian, which I didn't even understand what that was. So it was so painful to kind of go to school. So I just sort of escaped in this idea that, well, I'm going to be a comedian. Mm -hmm. And I started very young because I just wanted to be an adult. I didn't want to be a child anymore. Like I didn't love the powerlessness of childhood combined with the uh, horrible children (laughs) Like that was just like the worst. So I um, just started comedy early. I found a lot of success pretty quickly and you know, it is a coping mechanism comedy, but also humor is really looking for hope in a situation. So when you can find hope, you can find a way to survive things. And, and that's really um, what comedy always is for me.
1: That's really beautifully said. Also, Where are those kids now, you know?
2: You know, it's really something like kids really have a lot of fear. And when somebody's different, they channel that fear into attacking the one that's different. Because then they will hopefully not be attacked. Right. You know, that's kind of like what bullying is. It's just kind of fear turned in on itself. It's interesting because I've been in contact with some of those people...
1: Wow, you have. They,
2: yeah, they really have no memory. <laughs> oh They're my very god, proud that, of their that's pissing me off, though. Me.
1: Of course, I know. It's like they, Of course, they don't forget <laughs> the bad things they've done.
2: Okay. It's dumb, but it's like it is interesting how people really love the idea of somebody who's kind of made it in their connection with them. Right, and so people always are kind of coming out of like my childhood and and then you know my later my teenage years and like my shows and stuff. And it's funny because I don't, I don't hold any animosity towards them because that's just sort of the way that kids are naturally fearful and naturally mm-hmm. bully. Not to say that it's right, but it's just something that we didn't have even language to talk about. That was such a normal thing
0: right.
2: in the 70s and the 80s to happen in school. It, it was tough, but I think, you know, it's better to just kind of, they're, they're doing their thing.
1: But you're doing yours, more importantly. Exactly. I mean, your comedy hits on so many heavy things. So you talk a lot about addiction, abuse, politics. Why has it always been so important for you to find the humor in things that a lot of other people would deem to be really complicated things to talk about, but also, you know, could be traumatic as well?
2: Well, those things have an emotional charge, and it's really about trying to find hope in something. And then so laughter is kind of this involuntary intake of breath, which you don't expect, but it carries you into life to live the next moment. So really finding humor is a, a way to find hope and another reason to live. So it's it's quite poetic, actually. And so those subjects such as racism, abuse, trauma, those things have a need to find a way to be alleviated and to find hope in those situations. So that's, I think that's why it's also like, I'm always looking for something to write about and things that have the emotional charge, like those subjects often give me the best payout.
1: Yeah. I was uh, watching the episode that you were in of Sullen nation and talking a lot about your influence in comedy and obviously your identity as well. And I'm always curious because I feel like uh, as women of color, we, we, have a lot of experiences that we go through in very different ways, but are fundamentally at the core, very similar where I think for for myself, I feel like blackness is such a huge part of who I am, what I do. And obviously my identity, but there's also so much to do with like issues in our, in my own community, in the black community and um, feeling like there's, you know, there's always been a crabs in a bucket mentality or like we can't all win, or there's only can be one of us. And a lot of, you know, criticisms of not being enough or being too much. And how do we move forward? And I was curious on your end of, I know you've had some criticism around like, is she too Asian? Is she not enough? And and how have you felt like that and and, and dealt with it in, in your own right?
2: It's very difficult to navigate those things because in that way white supremacy remains invisible. They they they, they say it's our problems within our own community, but really these problems wouldn't exist without white supremacy. Oh of but course. What yeah. what yeah, what supremacy has done is sort of faded to the background to sort of like deceive and make us think that we're fighting amongst ourselves. We're not fighting amongst ourselves. This is what happens when racism is like internalized, and that tokenism idea, or there can only be one, and that you can't support other people of color because that would make your uh, accomplishment less exceptional.
0: Right. And
2: all these ideas. I mean, there's a. It's quite gendered too. The the way that women of color are viewed against. Uh, men of color and how do we talk about the gay community then and the trans community and the mm-hmm. non-bi- non-binary community it's a very interesting examination where it's all about white supremacy yet somehow white supremacy has left the chat yeah that they're they caused all this
1: they're like what are you talking about
2: and now we're fighting and we don't know why and know. it's like you know, the way that we can, like, look to take out all this discrimination is to really, like, look at the big picture of it and to see that this is uh, systemic. You know, these are systemic problems that we need to fix. That It's not actually our communities. It's the way that our communities are juxtaposed and um, p- pit against each other.
1: Right. Tell me about, like, what was the comedy scene like when you first started? Because I know you've been such a pioneer for so many um, people in comedy and specifically women of color who want to start up in comedy. Like, do you feel like a lot has changed? And what what was it like versus now that you feel like has has brought about some change?
2: Well, there were very few women in comedy when I started out and there were very few uh, people of color at all. And women of color, basically, we just, we're so few of us. Right. There were probably more queer women, I think, because comedy at that time was such a male-dominated industry that queer women had more of an easy time navigating it because we didn't care what men thought. Right. Which is still kind of (laughs) true. That's where we have an advantage where we don't care what men think so that we have uh, a leg up because we're not constantly second-guessing what we should be doing. It's not a gendered Mm -hmm. space in that way. But there were no Asian-Americans, really. It was a very limiting environment. But when you're doing stand-up comedy, you're on your own. So there's a kind of freedom and agency there, which um, doesn't necessarily need, uh, you know, that that sort of like, I don't need a studio, I don't need a network, I don't need a production that has Asian-Americans cast in it which was fortunate because there, there was just uh, – I had stand-up comedy and that was it.
1: So how do you now find inspiration or new material? Like is it is it more challenging? How would you say the experience is, is now since you've been doing it for so long?
2: I think I'm better at it, actually. I think it's, it's not as challenging, but it's also um, – definitely like you want to still like, you, you know, be better than you yourself, like you want to uh, improve on what you've done. So that to me is really my challenge is how do I do more profound work than works I've already done. That's that's my biggest challenge is against myself, which is kind of a good good place to be. You uh-huh. know, it's like, I just want to do, do better than what I've done before.
1: Yeah, I love that. You also have a podcast, Uh, Mortal Minority, and um, you had, season two was about Asian American hate crimes and historical context around them. Um, And you've talked a lot about racism that a lot of Asian Americans have experienced. How have you personally grappled with that? And is there anything that you learned, you know, during that season that you didn't know or realize was happening?
2: Well, what I learned that was really important was that the violence and racism against Asian Americans is cyclical and that we've experienced it since our appearance in America since 1849. We've incurred this kind of wrath over and over, whether it's the Chinese Exclusionary Act, whether it's the Japanese internment camp whether it's the murder of Vincent Chin when Japanese auto companies seem to be, quote-unquote, taking over, whether it's the L.A. uprising or even now with the violent anti-Asian attacks pretty much daily happening yeah. in in the time of coronavirus. I think I didn't know about so many instances that happened, just like we don't know so much about history whether it's indigenous people whether it's black americans whether it's asian americans whether it's it's queer americans we don't know anything about our country really
1: yeah
0: embracing nature is more than just going for a walk now and then it's reconnecting with the elements it's harnessing the power of natural ingredients it's putting the earth first for over 50 years, Nature Sunshine has been sharing the healing power of nature as they work towards a healthier planet. Their manufacturing facility is 100% powered by sunlight and they divert 95% of waste away from landfills. If you're looking for a sustainably made herbal supplement, you might wanna check out Nature Sunshine and their new power line. That's com and use code NSP for 25% off your first order.
1: I often find myself um, quite frustrated with, with just how the news cycle is run as someone who has to pay attention because I, like other people have the privilege of being able to say, like, I won't watch this, or I don't want to read this, or, you know, I, I want to look away. But obviously, part of my job, and I think it's really important is to be informed. But how do you handle the fact that I think we we go through this new cycle of something bad will happen, and then, you know, a week later, people forget? I feel like that with a lot of mass shootings, there'll, there'll be a mass shooting, and then, you know, a week later, everybody is on to another thing, or, you know, there'll be Hate crime, and you'll see it on the news, and then people move on to the n- the next thing. But for so many people of color, I feel like we are carrying the burdens of like how to make this better, and why why don't more people care? And I'm I'm curious of how you felt about it.
2: It's very hard because the trauma remains, and then you're not allowed to heal from it until there's then then there's, there's like another trauma on top of it. So it's very difficult to manage that, to manage that, all of the weight of that suffering and trying to find a solution through that. But there's got to be some hope through that. It's just so alarming that some people feel like so strong about the the gun issue when we've been proven time and time again, none of their solutions work. Zero of them work. None of them work. And it's not rational. And it's not productive. And we're the only country that grapples with this. And it's, it's quite a shameful thing. You know, Incredibly. That, that we're supposed to be the most advanced, we are not. And it is so shameful and it's so sad that it's the most vulnerable in our c- communities that, you know, whether it's children or it's hospitals or it's the elderly, it, it, it's, it's always people of color dying. And nobody's doing anything. And it's really, it, it, it's so, again, we're going, coming up against white supremacy in a way that is so, uh, it seems so insurmountable. Yeah. But it, there's got to be a way. And, it, you know, it's just so ter- terrible
1: you you've used the word hope a lot in this conversation i don't use the word hope enough so that's a good reminder for me where does that come from is that something from your family is that like where where do you get that inner hope and and desire for there to be better and that's a choice that's a 100% a choice to to have some type of hope for better things
2: yeah, it's and it's important. It's important to have hope. And I think that I have hope because of it is family related. It's a generational thing. It's um you know, my family has endured so many traumas that they've really been resilient through whether that's war, whether that's occupation by another country, whether you know, that is coming to America. All of these traumas that are so kind of deeply embedded in our psyche that you know really like have emerged into set of beautiful practices of looking for hope. Looking for hope wherever that is, even in plant life. Like I used to think that my grandparents were like so boring because they love to go to the park. But I didn't realize until as an adulthood they were stealing plants cuttings to propagate. <laughs> <laughs> so we had these huge, amazing botanical gardens in our homes that were just stolen. I love that from arboretums and conservatories all over San Francisco. <laughs> but it's just like they—they they just took the little crumbs of like leaves and sticks that people were like throwing on the ground and right. grew these gardens from that. And you know, like to to have that sort of uh, passion for like bringing life to to things is just so incredible. You know, so I I think like our story of you know kind of coming to America from immense poverty and you know now I can just like live in my backyard I don't have to like steal cuttings from plants I have like all of the plants purchased <laughs> and thriving in my backyard you know and it's really um but it's it's really incredible to see like where we've come yeah. from the 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 difficulties of our ancestors so you know there there's some joy in that and there's pride in that
1: You've also talked about your struggles with body image and the idea of, you know, aspirational whiteness that a lot of women of color have dealt with. Was there a moment when you decided that you weren't going to let yourself go down that spiral where you you stopped caring about, you know, the beauty standards of the world? Because I often feel like, or I mean, it could have obviously been a million little things, but we talk about this so much at The Cut because— there does seem to be this constant disconnect with how um, we talk about our bodies versus, you know, the, the the language that is used and and how it actually makes people feel. Um, and I'm always curious because I think that that's an area that is talked about so much and is still not that much improvement, at least in the actual fashion industry.
2: It's hard. It's hard. It's hard to find a place of peace within our own bodies, but. And, and again, this is sort of where the patriarchy and white supremacy has really invaded our mindset where we can't accept and love who we are because of this proposed ideal that doesn't really even exist in life. I mean, it's, it's a very weird thing of like trying to attain something that's not even real. Right. And so it, it's, um, to me, I think there wasn't like necessarily a moment where I just sort of made the decision to stop cutting my own body down or my own body image down in my mind. It's more like a overtime realization that I'm like growing old in this body that I've never appreciated. And it's so tragic because now I look back at photographs, which I have relatively few as a young person, and I really missed out on the vitality and the youthful beauty that I did possess. And now I have a different kind of beauty, but it's a definite choice to appreciate because you realize how brief and fleeting life can be Mm -hmm. and uh you know our joy is so much more important than cultural ideals of who we're supposed to be
1: so what do you what do you do to find joy outside of comedy i know you've dabbled in some music and fashion and other art forms what do you do
2: I have an array of very fascinating living creatures at my house. I have this dog. I have three cats. I have uh, 28 bird feeders. I have a bog of carnivorous plants outside that eat bugs and make flowers from the what? bugs they ate.
1: Okay, it's I will so, be Googling this after. We
2: it's so beautiful. No, they, okay. they're like these beautiful flowers that are like the Venus fly traps. And, oh, yeah, um, I've
1: heard of those. Okay. Yeah,
2: and pitcher plants and these plants that... Uh, you know, they ingest animals and it it, it, in bugs, and it's really fascinating, and uh, they need so little from me, but I can appreciate their beauty, and, and I just give them some water sometimes, and I, I grow strawberries. I grow tomatoes. I have all of these really weird cactus that lay down, so my job is taking them from their standing up position, and I lay them down. They're called the creeping devil, and they move on their own.
1: Creeping devil, I love and I this. Think,
2: <laughs> I think they're supposed to be hallucinogenic. I don't know, <laughs> but I've never tried. But I have a huge uh, forest of them. I have a plant that it, it's called the Welwitschia mir- mirabilis, and it's a plant that actually was around during dinosaur times, prehistoric oh, wow. times. So it's it's to me it's all about the plants. It's about the animals. It's about cultivating my happiness. Because it's like you have to find that hope and, and happiness within yourself and within your home.
1: Right. Do you feel like you um, – like if you are doing all of those things, it helps you, you know, stay in, in the mindset of being creative and, and helps you be sharper because you're not just focusing on what your next stand-up is going to be?
2: Yes. Because then it's like you, you're you able to kind – it's like a walking meditation. In a sense, because you can kind of empty your mind and put your needs aside to care for another being's needs, whether that's uh, an animal or a plant or even an insect or somebody who wants to eat insects.
1: (laughs) Do you walk through your garden and then you'll think of jokes like what is your what is your writing process now?
2: Oh, no, it's just like I have like uh, different pieces of paper everywhere and then I'll write something down or like, you know, I have things on my phone or every device that I have has like several like reams of things that I should be talking about, need to think about, writing about, you know, focusing on. Um, so that that's kind of it. Like I just have little things around that I can record all my thoughts because that to me is another part of the cultivation process.
1: Right, right. Well, the people won't be able to see your pink mic for Pride, but we're it's at the start of pink. Pride.
2: We're, we're at the start.
1: <laughs> and what do you have planned? What are you looking forward to?
2: Well, I think Pride is really amazing, and I don't know exactly. I'm not sure. This this Pride is very—it's it, it, it's fraught with a lot of um, concern because of the anti-gay legislation, the anti-trans yeah. bias, and everywhere— the fear around that and the anger that we have around that. And so celebrating pride to me is really about finding ways of resistance, whatever that looks like. Yeah, I want to go. I I mean, I I feel like I haven't been able to attend prides, although I've done a lot of stuff virtually over the last couple of years during this pandemic. But um, I really hope I get to celebrate it with people. So I think think that's going to happen. But it's really something that is very – you know, it's some pride becomes much more important now than ever because we're fighting so many things.
1: I agree, yeah. And just that community, I think, in person is so is so missed on so many levels. Mm-hmm. So, I hope so. We have to talk about Fire Island. Um, yes, <laughs> you play Aaron in the film. I'm very excited to see this. We actually ran um, a piece on Joel Kim Booster this weekend in, in the mm. in the in the magazine, um, yeah. and it's online on Vulture if anybody wants to read it. You play Aaron in the film. So tell us a little bit about the film. I know it's Pride and Prejudice inspired. And tell us about your role. Who's Aaron in this role as well? The
2: movie is like Pride and Prejudice, but it's like gay Pride and Prejudice. Because it's like really about how we have gay pride. But then the when we go into gay pride, we're going also from into like caloric debt and credit card debt because we've got to show off our pride to everybody. show <laughs> so the best pride that we've got to buy and diet into. And um, the prejudice is you think that you can't possibly have other discriminations because we are so oppressed, but really there is so much problematic behavior within the queer community, whether that's racism or sexism or homophobia, even transphobia, yeah. all of these things and class uh, walls are very, very rigid. So the film is really all about that, but taking it in the form of a beautiful romantic comedy, which this really is also. And it's a beautiful movie, and it's a great summer watch. Um, it's a place that I really love. Fire Island is steeped in gay history,
1: mm-hmm. and it's
2: a place we've always gone, always going to feel safe in the summer, and yet. What do you do when you don't feel safe with your own community? And it's really about that, too.
1: I'm very excited to see it. It looks yes. so good. It's great. So what what is next for you? What should people be on the lookout from for you?
2: I will be touring for like a while. I mean, I'm basically on a tour that I started in 2018 and now rejoined uh, my Fresh Off the Bloat tour. Nice. And that's really great. I'm very excited about that. Andrew Ahn, who directed Fire Island, I'm doing another film with him, he's producing. Um, so that's really exciting. I'm just kind of like excited to celebrate Pride. And it's all really something that I really appreciate getting to go out there and like perform, you know, and being able to be in shows, going to do shows. It, it's really powerful.
1: Yeah. Very looking forward to seeing that as well. I was looking at some clips and you were like talking, laughing about your mom and. I'm really, I'm sure people are going to be so excited to, to see you on tour again.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's going to be great. Uh, maybe she'll come. She's she's very like, I love to do, I I think he's so funny. She thinks it's so funny. So <laughs> I love so much. She's even made a TikTok with me. So it's, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> it's really good. Yeah, she has a TikTok. She's on my TikTok. I, I just oh my started, God, I have I, to go see it. I love it. I started a TikTok, actually, uh, Tomas Matos from Fire Island. Uh, showed me how to do TikTok last, <laughs> last summer in Fire Island. So uh, I, I've been doing that since. So, so my TikTok is the Margaret Cho.
1: Okay, I have to go see the one with your mother. That's She's amazing. very funny
2: in it. She's really cute.
1: <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing this. We so appreciate it. Of course, thank you. In Her Shoes is hosted by me, Lindsay Peoples. Our producer and editor for this episode is Taka Zen. Our engineer is Brendan McFarlane, and our executive producer is Hannah Rosen. The Cut is made possible by the excellent team at New York Magazine. Subscribe today at thecut.com slash subscribe. I'm Lindsay Peoples, and thank you so much for listening.
0: Celebrate Earth Month this April by harnessing the power of Mother Nature with Nature's Sunshine's new power line from Power Greens with over 200 plant-based nutrients to support gut health and foundational nutrition to Power beets that can improve performance and blood flow. Not to mention Power Meal, which delivers plant-based calories from whole foods to help keep you both energized and feeling satisfied throughout the day. This Earth Month, you can enjoy 25% off your first order with code NSP. Just go to naturesunshine.com. That's naturesunshine.com and use code NSP for 25% off your first order.